Father, as we <clears throat> as we prepare to hear your word, we ask that you speak to us. We ask that you give us attentive hearts and um, steadfast minds to receive your truth. Spirit, be our preacher and our teacher, that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we ask that your word falls on good ground for your glory, for your namesake, and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was given instructions to tell you to sit down, but I said, but what if I don't want to? What if, <laughs> what if, what if standing would be the best way to hear a sermon? Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Tyler St. Clair. I have the uh, privilege of pastoring Cornerstone Church, Detroit, in the beautiful city of Detroit, Michigan. Um, we planted almost eight years ago. This beard was black and luscious, uh, but after <laughs> seven plus years of pastoral ministry, um, but God has been gracious and kind, and you may not know this, you may not realize this, but around when I was in the process of planting, I met a brother named JJ, um, and we just became fast friends, and your church began to partner with us um, financially through prayer and even sending volunteers a few times a year. So I am super thankful for your partnership in the gospel. You, you may not realize this, but uh, your faithfulness is helping plant a church and helping push back darkness uh, in a very dark place. So I am extremely grateful and thankful for your partnership and your friendship in the gospel. So give yourselves a hand clap of appreciation from me to you uh, and to the Lord. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we, we, give all, we give all glory to Christ um, for his goodness, but he uses human instruments so I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. Um, today, I want to talk about prayer. We, we are in a sermon series um, at my church, and we're going through spiritual disciplines. Um, so I want to talk about prayer here, and not just prayer, but the power of persistent prayer. Our main text will be in Luke chapter 11. You can flip there. I'm going to read that in a minute. But before I read that, uh, I, I want to define prayer. Because if you've been around church, there are words we throw around and we just assume that we know what we're, we, I'll say prayer or grace or the gospel or church. And we assume that we mean the same thing, but very often we, we have different meanings on these words that we throw around. Uh, so I want to give a definition for prayer. Prayer. What is prayer? A.W. Tozer defines prayer as communing with God in everything. Author Dallas Willard says, prayer is conversing, communicating with God out loud or in our thoughts. Dr. Richard Foster, who wrote an amazing book called Celebration of Habits or Celebrations of Disciplines uh, on the Spiritual Disciplines, uh, Richard Foster says, prayer catapults us into the frontier of the spiritual life and is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Lastly, I found this truth bomb from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, very, very powerful on prayer. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, prayer beyond 
any, or beyond any question is the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and his highest when he is upon his knees, when he comes face to face with God. Man or woman discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private and when he or she is alone with God in prayer, end quote. So again, this message is not just about prayer, but the power of persistent prayer will be in Luke chapter 11. I'm borrowing this little outline from one of my favorite authors and preachers, Alistair Begg. Uh, there in, in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, there is an illustration, an application, and a contemplation. There's an illustration, application, and contemplate, contemplation. First, we have an illustration. Luke chapter 11, verse Five. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend who goes out at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I do not have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from the inside and say, do not bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. First, we have an illustration. Oh, I'm reading from a different translation. I'm reading from the CSB, the Cornerstone Standard Bible. Uh, so first, there is an illustration. So remember, when we read the Bible, context is king. Context is important. The, the context of this passage is Jesus is teaching on prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, one of the disciples comes to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray just like John taught his disciples how to pray. And then the Lord gives them this model prayer or the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive our, those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. So right after giving this pattern of prayer, Jesus gives an illustration of how we should approach prayer. According to Dr. Luke, this parable is tethered or attached to this discord, uh, to this discourse on prayer. Now let me frame this parable for us because again, this was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the, the, there, there was no um, Instacart, no air fryers, no convenience stores, or in my community, there was no corner stores. This odd exchange at midnight is at a friend's home. Again, to grasp what Jesus is communicating, we must uh, hit a, a few cultural points. Again, 2,000 years ago, uh, at, at, at the middle of the night, there was no way to quickly grab food because you have to heat up a stove with logs and fire. It would take hours to bake bread. And also, the arrival of a friend at midnight was not unusual in the Middle East because it was often too hot to travel during the day. The text does not explicitly state this, but I believe this was an uh, unexpected visitor because if this man knew he had visitors coming, he would have had provisions for them already on hand. 
The next cultural reality is the importance of hospitality. In this time and in this day, in this culture, hospitality was extremely important. And if you did not have food, if you did not have provision for a guest, it was uh, viewed as shameful and extremely embarrassing. Notice the response of friend number two. We got two friends. Friend one is the guy outside. Hey, hey, um, funny thing. Um, can I borrow some bread? That's friend one. Friend number two is the person that would be me, rightfully irritated, rightfully annoyed at someone outside of my house at mid Can you imagine that? Midnight, <laughs> knocking on your house for bread. So we got friend one is outside, friend two is inside. Friend number two says, do not bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I have already gone to bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. More context. In the Middle East, homes were extremely small. All of the family laid in one room on mats on the floor. There was no electricity. There was, there, there was no way to have uh, light quickly. And, and they had big, massive doors that they locked from the inside. So he's saying, I am not getting up. I am not disturbing my family. I am not lighting a lamp. And I am not opening the door for you. You are on your own. Hey! I know uh, this is a major inconvenience, but can I borrow some bread? Friend number two understandably rejects this uh, somewhat obnoxious and inconsiderate request again at midnight. If you'd have came at six, I'd have been, all right, fine. Eight, you're pushing it, because I go to bed at nine. But midnight is, is a whole nother uh, animal. <clears throat> but he stays and he persists because to, again, in this culture, to not have provision was extremely, extremely embarrassing and shameful. Hospitality was a sacred act in the Middle Eastern, uh, even today, in the Middle Eastern culture. While the second friend understandably re rejects his initial request, friend number one clearly stays outside and begs, possibly knocks, possibly disturbs other people in the community. Verse eight again. But I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Stay with me. Again, what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is teaching about prayer. This highly annoyed friend does not give his persistent friend food out of love, generosity, or concern for hospitality. He simply wants him to go away. He gets up, likely disturbs his family, lights a candle, lights something, and, and, and unlocks the door and gives him food. Despite this major inconvenience, this man finally breaks down and gives him what he needs because he would not leave his property. What is Jesus teaching about prayer? I believe Jesus is using this parable to teach us a major component of prayer is persistence. A major component of prayer is consistence. So in verses one through four in Luke 11, he gives a pattern of prayer. He gives a model of prayer. He gives the model prayer or the Lord's prayer. And then in the next portion, he teaches them a major component of prayer is persistence. 
He describes this as shameless boldness. Jesus gives this over-the-top illustration of an obnoxious friend to display how we should approach prayer. This shameless boldness Jesus refers to uh, refers to a deep level of dependence, a deep level of desperation to God. Later in Luke's gospel, he gives a different illustration. He gives a similar parable with the same meaning. Luke 18. <clears throat> Luke 18, verse 1. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to what? To pray always and not to give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she does not wear me out with her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will God not, will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you, that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Do you see how these two parables are very similar? The begging friend in Luke 11 and this uh, uh, persistent widow in Luke 18 are in a similar predicament. They both have a request that is denied upon initial uh, submission of the request. The friend needs some bread. The woman, the widow, needs justice because she had been, uh, some way she had been taken advantage of, which was common for widows in that culture. Both of them heard no, but they kept coming. They were persistent. The begging friend and the widow persisted until their request was granted. In Luke 11, with the persistent widow, Jesus uses the negative contrast technique to reveal the heart of God. Jesus is saying, this uh, unjust judge, he says, your father in heaven is the exact opposite of this judge. If this immoral judge finally does the right thing, how much more will our father who is compassionate, who is gracious, who is kind, who is generous, how much more will he give justice and grace to his children? If this judge who doesn't care about people and does not honor God still answers this widow's request, how much more will our father in heaven who deeply cares for us answer our prayers? If this crooked judge rewards the persistence and pesky widow, how much more will God reward and answer our persistent prayers? If bold persistence is rewarded even by stubborn, sinful humans, how much more will God, who is holy and righteous, who provides for his children, who delights in generously answering our prayers, how much more will he answer our persistent prayers? Family, we must be persistent because God longs to answer our prayers. Who or what 
have you stopped praying for? Who could be a person or what could be a situation, could be an issue? Who or what have you stopped praying for? What prayer request have you stopped bringing before God? What have you thrown in the towel on? Uh, it, just, it just is what it is. I guess, I guess that's how it's going to end. What relationship that is frayed or broken have you stopped praying for? Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a wayward family member who has slid back into sin. Maybe it's a brother or sister in the faith who's drifted away spiritually. Who or what have you stopped praying for? Does your prayer life look like this begging man in Luke 11 or this persistent widow in Luke 18? Or do you get frustrated, lose heart, and tap out? I have one very, very simple, straightforward application for this message. The application for you, the application for me is keep on praying. Keep on praying. Can I be honest? I feel at home here. It's a home away from home. Sometimes, y'all not going to tell nobody, right? All right. Sometimes I feel silly praying about the same thing over and over again. That just me. I'm, I'm like, all right, God, you know what I need. You said in your word, you, well, not on my head, but you, the, the hairs on my beard are numbered. You know what I need. You know everything. You know what I need before I need it. Why do I have to tell you what I need if you know what I need before I need it? I feel silly. I feel redundant. You are sovereign. You have everything in your hand, but you still tell me to pray often about the same thing? I feel silly. It feels redundant. But the Lord is abundantly clear that he rewards, he answers those pesky, persistent prayers. Don't stop praying. That loved one, that child, that child that you raised in the faith that is strayed, that brother or sister who, you, who, who had a, a, a vibrant relationship with the Lord is drifted. Don't stop praying. That situation, that relationship, don't stop praying. Whatever the Lord has placed on your heart, keep bringing it before him. Instead of quitting, instead of tapping out, instead of throwing in the towel, let's model our prayer lives after this begging man and this persistent widow. Let's keep going. Back in Luke 11, Luke 11 verse 9. So first, Jesus gives a model prayer. He gives the Lord's Prayer. And then he gives an illustration of a man, an obnoxious man begging for bread. That's an illustration. Next, he gives an application in verse 9, Luke 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, for everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Again, we have an illustration. Now we have an application. 
Because the Father rewards, the Father answers pesky, persistent prayers. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. This observation is from Dr. R. Ken Hughes. He said, the Lord's language is unusually compelling because of the three verbs, ask, seek, and knock, indicate ascending intensity, end quote. Don't miss this because it's important. As ask, seek, and knock display an increase in action, so should our persistent commitment to prayer also increase. Jesus is, de- is not describing this vague, indifferent, apathetic prayer. He's describing a focused, intense, persistent life of prayer. He uses three forceful imperatives, forceful uh, uh, imperatives to describe how we should approach prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. Again, not indifferent, not wavery, wavering, not, not passive, not apathetic. If I'm honest with myself, there's too many times where my prayer life drifts to passivity, drifts to to apathy. I'll pray, Pastor, can you pray for, yeah, yeah, I'll pray, and I'll I'll pray for the thing, or I'll pray for the situation. But it becomes passive. If we're honest with ourselves, our prayer life often isn't, doesn't look like a lot of asking and seeking and knocking. There's not an increased intensity. It's actually being dialed back. It's actually cooling off. Often we pray for something, pray for a person two or three times, and we just leave it there. And then we say, well, you know, I prayed about it. But if we look at the parable of the begging woman, if we, if we look at the parable of the widow, if we look at the parable of the, the begging man, and we look at how Jesus frames prayer, ask, seek, knock, this intensity, this persistence is increasing, not decreasing. That's counterintuitive because often our prayers begin to fade and to taper off and begin to cool off as time goes on. But I believe the Lord Jesus is compelling us to fan the flame and to increase the heat. Along with lacking in persistence or lacking in intensity, many believers just simply neglect prayer altogether. There are believers, probably not here, y'all love Jesus, but there are believers in other places, right? There are believers in other places that the chief and maybe the only time that they pray is when God's people gather together on Sunday. Very often, if we're honest with ourselves, we we choose to lean into our doubts, lean into our fears, lean into our anxiety, and if your name is Tyler, lean into self-sufficiency instead of leaning into prayer. Doubts, fear, anxiety, uh, stress, these things are real. We're not negating those things. Those things are real. They're part of the human experience. But very often we lean into fear, lean into anxiety, lean into our doubts, lean into self-sufficiency instead of leaning into prayer. Listen to what James 4 says. James 4, 2. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet 
and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so you may spend it on your pleasures. In James 4, we, we learn that two issues with many believers is they pray the wrong things and they neglect to pray altogether. James is clear that prayerlessness causes distress and difficulty in the life of believers. Dr. Michael Reeves said, prayerlessness is practical atheism. It demonstrates a lack of belief in God. Prayer is the primary way, excuse me, prayer is the primary way true faith expresses itself. Reeves said, prayerlessness, lacking prayer, is practical atheism. While prayerlessness is practical atheism, because you are acting and operating as if God does not exist. It's based on my ingenuity. It's based on my thoughts. It's based on my power. It's based on my provisions. It's based on me fixing the situation instead of realizing that you have a sovereign God who not only is the sovereign God of the universe, not only does he raise the sun every morning and make it set, not only does he sustain the entire universe, he is your father who loves and provides. Instead of leaning into him, you lean into self. Prayerlessness is practical atheism. And it displays a lack of faith. But, but on the contrary, continuing to ask, continuing to seek, continuing to knock shows your faith and dependence in the true and living God. Continuing to ask, seek, and knock expresses that you realize your father is all you have. It expresses an utter dependence on him. First, there is an illustration. There is an application continuing to continue to ask, seek, and knock, staying persistent, keeping the fire going. And lastly, there's a contemplation, Luke 11, 11. Excuse me. Luke 11, 11, contemplation. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Wives don't answer that question. Verse 12, if he asks for an egg, we'll give a scorpion. If, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Illustration, application, contemplation. Jesus' final words on prayer here in Luke 11 is actually something for us to meditate and ponder on as we approach our Father in prayer uh, and teaching his disciples on how to come to the Father in heaven. The Lord appeals to their understanding of earthly fatherhood. In verse 11, he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a, a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Jesus is communicating that, that earthly fathers who love their children give them good gifts. Earthly fathers who love their children give them what is good, helpful, and beneficial. Earthly fathers who love their sons and daughters bless them instead of cursing them. So after establishing that, that principle, Jesus then hits them with the punchline. 
if you, then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you, not the answer to your prayers, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The good teacher uses the care and the provision of earthly fathers to explain the ultimate care, the ultimate provision of our Father in heaven. If human fathers who are deeply flawed, deeply sinful, provide for their children, how much more will the Father in heaven, who is perfect, holy, and righteous, how much better will he provide for his children? Now that raises the interesting question. Is God entitled to say yes to every one of my prayer requests? If you, if you, depending on your flavor of theology, there are people who teach, believe, and espouse that God is the cosmic genie. God is Amazon Prime. He gives me whatever I ask. John 5, 1 John, excuse me, 1 John 5, 14. Is God entitled to say yes to every one of my prayer requests? John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything, what? According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask, that we have asked for him, asked of him. Did you catch the clause? If we ask anything, what? According to his will. This is why Jesus prays this way. He says, Father, who is in heaven, your kingdom come what? Your will be done. How did Jesus approach life? They said, Jesus, you should eat. You haven't eaten all day. He said, my food is to do what? The will of him who sent me. Jesus Realize that there is a will that God has that supersedes anything we can ask or think or desire. The sovereign Lord of heaven is not subject to us, but rather we're subject to him. Our prayers are subject to his will. I prayed for people who were sick. They went home to be with the Lord. I prayed for situations and it did not come out the way I desired. I have to realize that my prayers are subject to the sovereign will of God, who Romans 8 is working everything according to my ultimate good. It may not be my desire, but it's my ultimate good. My brothers and sisters, Father knows best. Your Father who knows you deeply, your father, who has plans and purposes for your life, knows best. Only reckless and foolish parents give their children whatever they want. I have five. Yes, I have five. A lot of children. I would be foolish to allow my children to pick their diets and their bedtimes. I would be foolish to give my children, to allow my seven-year-old to drive. I, I would be foolish to give my children whatever they want. Why? Because I have knowledge. I have foreknowledge that they do not have. 
On the contrary, wise parents knows what's best for their children and move accordingly. Just as a loving father gives good gifts wisely to his children, God uses his discretion, God uses his will and knows what's best and acts according to his divine will in answering our prayers. But as I begin to close, notice Jesus says something interesting. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the ultimate answer to our prayers. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? According to Luke, uh, the Holy Spirit is God's supreme gift to his people. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom, gives energy, gives power. The Holy Spirit gives discernment. Uh, in, in the upper room discourse, uh, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples to leave, and he keeps telling them, I'm not going to leave you alone. The Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Spirit of truth is coming. He's saying the Holy Spirit is coming to lead, to guide, to open your eyes to truth. The second greatest gift after salvation in Christ that God has given us is his spirit of God, is his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills believers because of what Jesus accomplished for us. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we now have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says you have been sealed. No, Ephesians 1 says that you received the Holy Spirit as a down payment. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, then filled because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us, we can now uh, live lives of obedience leading through the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit who empowers us. One of the main signs the Lord Jesus saves us and has saved us, excuse me, rather, rather has saved us is the Holy Spirit resting within us, leading us, opening our eyes to truth. Pastor Thabiti Antibuele said, God gives his children the best answer to their prayers. He gives himself. He gave his son to us on the cross and he gives the spirit of us, the spirit of spirit to us for daily living. End quote. My brothers and sisters, as I conclude, the greatest answer to prayer is more of God. The greatest thing we receive when we pray is more of him. It's not the actual answer to our prayer. More of the Father's grace, more uh, a deeper, more profound understanding of the Lord Jesus, his love and his gospel, and more power from the Spirit to walk in obedience and to serve him. The greatest gift of prayer, the greatest reward for prayer is more of God. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, God answers our prayers. But the greatest thing we receive from him in prayer is more of him. Your father who loves you, your father who is gracious, and kind is more willing to answer your prayers than you are to pray them. God is more willing, God is more anxious to answer your prayers than we are to pray. 
How do I know this? How do I know this? Romans 8, 31. Romans 8, 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? If God the Father gave his very best to redeem us, what is he withholding? If God the Father gave his very best, if God the Father gave the Lord Jesus Christ, the holy, righteous Son of God, if God the Father gave the very best he had, what is he holding back? He said he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us. God the Father gave his son for sinners, for wicked people, for those who rejected him. Isaiah 53, like us, like sheep, we've all gone astray. Romans 3, every one of us have rejected him, have gone and went our own way. God the Father gave his son to redeem us, to, to restore creation to bring us back to him, to adopt us into the family, to fill us with his spirit, to give us an eternal inheritance. If God gave us all of that in Jesus, what is he withholding when we pray? How do we know that God will answer our prayers? Simply look at the cross. When we pray, we have assurance that God will answer according to his will, that he will provide, that he will answer our prayers. Why? He didn't withhold Jesus. The triune God met every one of our needs. And he also met our greatest need, which was salvation, and gave us the greatest gift ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should come, as Hebrews 4 says, come boldly to the throne with confidence. Why? Above that, it says we have a high priest in Jesus. Jesus, who is our high priest. Jesus, who is not only the Lamb of God, but the high priest who still intercedes for us. We have a high priest in Jesus. We have no reason not to pray. We have a priest. We have, we've been fully restored to God. We have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit intercedes and leads us in prayer. We have everything we need to be a praying people. We simply need to come to him in obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus we thank you that we've been restored and all things have been made right through what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Lord, by your spirit, help us to be a praying people. Help us to be a people who persist and prevail in prayer. By your spirit, Lord, when we want to give up, when we want to throw in the towel, remind us 
that you did not withhold anything when you sent your son. And you want to answer our prayers. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.